0: hello and welcome to yet another episode of the car park convos podcast change starting with a conversation this one was really special it's not every day you get a politician on your podcast with so much experience chris bowen he's played many roles in Australian politics on the federal level. He's been a minister in a number of Labor governments and currently he is the shadow minister for climate change and energy. Um, I sat down for a quick convo with Chris recently to talk about some of the big political questions that we're all facing in the lead up to this election and to hear a little bit about his own journey um, with climate change and some of his ideas around climate action in Australia. Um, It's really not too much of a political conversation, which is probably what most people dread when they hear about interviews with politicians. So I found it thoroughly enjoyable and um, found Chris to be a really nice bloke and someone who loves a body surf. So there you go. Spoiler alert, done. Enjoy the podcast. Thanks a lot, Chris Bowen. Well, it's my great pleasure to welcome to the podcast... Chris Bowen, welcome, welcome. Where are you joining us from? Good morning, Josh. Uh, good to be here. I'm uh, I'm
1: talking from my home, which is in Western Sydney.
0: Okay, okay. And look, the way we kick things off with this podcast is, you know, we are about surfing and climate mm. climate action and having a car park convo. Um, where's your nearest beach? <laughs> well,
1: um, there isn't one near where I live. I live uh, Western Sydney, about an hour west of Sydney. So we've got the Prospect Reservoir, but not much good surfing there. (laughs) Um, But we do have a place. I love the – my favourite place is the New South Wales South Coast, and we've got Mm -hmm. a place at Borley Point. Oh, nice. And there is a very famous surf break off Borley Point you might be aware of called the Guillotines.
0: Yeah, very, Um, very familiar.
1: Yeah, and um, I'm not a surfer. I'm a body surfer. I love swimming and um, I love the waves without a surfboard. I'm – Bloody hopeless, standing on a surfboard. So I'll leave that to you guys. Mm. Um, but I, I do like to go down and watch on a good day. Watch the surfers on the guillotines because it's an amazing spot and an amazing skill. I know you have to be a pretty good surfer to get out on the guillotine. So there's some yeah. amazing skill on display.
0: Exactly. No, that that part of the coast is full of notorious slabs. We call them, and and that one you're referring to is one of them. It's um, and the name guillotines is is a fair description of what can happen on that wave. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, really nice
0: yeah. to hear that you enjoy body surfing. Um, we actually had a body surfer on uh, the one of the last episodes, Bryn O'Brien. She's down your way as well, and um, she's from the Australasian Centre for Corporate Responsibility. And um, yeah. she enjoys just swimming in amongst it all. And it's um, I'd I'd say that you're a bit of a purist. I give you that title. You're a purist when it comes to the wave, the wave riding. So good for oh, you.
1: Oh, Okay. Well, I don't. I uh, mean, I'm a body surfer because I'm not good enough to stand on a surfboard. I don't require. Reco- <laughs> I don't. I don't claim any. Purity uh-huh. or superiority. <laughs> I just, you know, I just find it easier to, to, to ride the waves in my body. So, That's
0: there you right. go. Beautiful stuff. Beautiful stuff. Well, let's kick off with the podcast. Like, you've, you've been in politics a really long time and you have been there for some really big moments in Australian history, I think. And, um, you know, you've had many different ministerial positions in government and in opposition. What excites you about this current focus that you have with climate change and energy because it's a big it's a big deal
1: yeah um it it is a big deal, and you know I think it's the most important time in many ways that our country has faced in terms of the choice that's coming away I don't, I don't want to be too political on this podcast, but you know just to be honest, there's a big choice facing the nation in a few weeks' time when we go to the election. And climate change is really the most important challenge of our time, but also the most important opportunity for Australia to get this right. Like we have an amazing opportunity in Australia. We have more sunlight hits our landmass than any other country in the world. Um, You know, this the, the times can suit Australia to really be a world leader when it comes to climate change and to take the economic opportunities that go with it. You know, for too long we've been told. Oh yeah, action on climate change might be important, but it comes at a cost. The economy—it's bullshit. It—it—it it, it, it is a great opportunity for our country to do really good things and create really good jobs for young people and renewable energy and energy storage, and to save the planet at the same time. So this is the biggest economic change since the industrial revolution. This is really big and important stuff, and I just you know very grateful to be in this portfolio at this time. Uh, I just think this is the 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 the. Uh, challenge for our times and um, we have a, a really unique opportunity now to play a massive catch-up. I wish we weren't playing catch-up as a country. You know, we're way behind the the world but we have a chance to fix that and, uh, you know, I'm playing my my small part in trying to do that.
0: Well, it won't be a small part if, if, with the election <laughs> if, if it goes your way. Um, it'll be a really big part. Um, but speaking of big moments, you know, like you were back in the Rudd government when there was this kind of moment in time and part of our work with Surface for Climate is pursuing bipartisanship on this question, like trying to get everyone, whoever wants to be involved, we're happy to throw our support behind. And, you know, there's been some great moments, I'll get to them later in terms of other state governments doing some really good initiatives, both Liberal and Labor. Um, But you were back there in the Rudd government when bipartisan support on carbon pricing or an emissions trading scheme was, was really like, it seemed to be almost there. And this is a long time ago now. Like this is, this must be like 12, 14 mm-hmm. years ago we're talking and it's kind of madness to think that we were there, we are right there. But what what went wrong? Like when you look back on the history and, and the moments that kind of what, what transpired and how do we get back there? How do we get back to this bipartisanship?
1: So, Josh, I, I think there's actually been a couple of chances of bipartisanship, a couple of windows. Um That was, you're right, that was one of them, and we came very close. Malcolm Turnbull wanted bipartisanship. Mm. We wanted bipartisanship, Um, and there are others. When Malcolm Turnbull was Prime Minister, um, they came up with the National Energy Guarantee, which we didn't think was a great idea, but we were prepared to back it just to get bipartisanship. Mm. But, again, I don't mean to be too partisan political, but um, I will call it as I said, the problem is too often when sensible people in the Liberal Party want to work with Labor, the right wing of the Liberal Party kicks in and mm. there doesn't have to be many of them. They can veto action and that's happened time and time again. So Malcolm Turnbull got rolled as leader. We said we'd back the National Energy Guarantee and then they withdrew it because they couldn't they, – they, they, they had problems in their own party room with a sort of climate change denying right wing. So um, there's been various op- – opportunities and you know in Australia we just sort of think it's normal to beat each other up on climate change it doesn't have to mm-hmm. be that way I mean it could be bipartisanship there is in the United Kingdom by and large you exactly. know Boris Johnson the Labor Party and the Liberal Democrats in Britain are all pretty much on the same page of course Labor wants to go a bit further but compared to where we are, we are today in Australia you know they are much more tripartisan mm. so um, you know and and Countries decide what to argue about. You know, in Australia, we by and large don't argue about gun rights, for example. I mean, that's unthinkable in the United States, right? Um, They argue a lot about gun rights. We choose not to. We choose to agree. We Mm. could choose to agree on climate change. I think, though, what we're going to need is, is frankly, some sort of a Labor government and then, you know, hopefully the Liberal Party coming to its senses and saying, well, you know, this climate change denying hasn't got us very far, so we're going to have to. The Mm. times have changed. But, you know, we'll see. We'll try for bipartisanship wherever we can, but ultimately, you know, if we if we are in government, if we're lucky enough to form government, we've got to we just got to call it as we see it and try and give the country a bit of policy.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, like speaking of this kind of opportunity of bipartisanship, like yeah, there there are glimmers of hope that, like I feel like it's people don't realise that in politics. I think that there are many moments of bipartisanship, and like the gun laws back when John Howard um made those, you know, very controversial at the time, but no arguments across the party lines. Like everyone's like, yeah, great idea. Let's get it done, you know. So there are these opportunities and there are there are many examples of this throughout history where all sides of politics have agreed on something and just moved on. And it's just such a blissful moment, right? Because you stop talking about it. It's kind of like, yeah. let's move on. Um, there's been some pretty big news regarding climate change and energy of late and kind of links to this question. And, you know, we had New South Wales government ban offshore mining, which is kind of a big deal for us. We've been fighting... You know, we had the fight for the bite. We've had the PEP 11 discussions and, you know, surfers around the country have really wanted to see these things stop. You know, this has been a really big red flag for for us as a constituency, you could say. And, you know, we've recently seen the, the early closure scheduled for the Araring power station, a 700 megawatt battery coming on board. These are really good things from the New South Wales government, again, kind of playing a part in that. And then we've got Mike Cannon Brooks trying to take over, you know, the biggest, one of the biggest polluters in Australia with an AGL takeover. Like, there seems to be a lot of action without the federal government doing much. Hmm. Um, Is it, it's no secret that climate action isn't the highest priority of this current government. But what do you believe the role of the federal government is when it comes to climate action? Like, how do you see it as a stakeholder on this? Because everybody else is getting on on with it, it seems.
1: Totally. The country's left the government behind. But I think, I think what we need is a government which gets it and provides the framework for everything else. Like mm-hmm. a, a federal government getting on with it is not enough, to be honest. You know, mm-hmm. we need a federal government that gets it, is getting on with it, but that's not enough. So
0: mm-hmm. all we need
1: is a federal government which sets the rules, the framework, the certainty, and then says, all right, guys, we're all in. We've got to be all in, you know. Mm-hmm. So we've got to be working with the states, and some of the states are doing really good things. Labor mm-hmm. and liberal are doing mm-hmm. really good things, but they're filling a void because there's no national leadership. They're filling the vacuum, Right. And that leads to a hodgepodge. It means you get different rules in different states yeah. and, you know, it's confusing and, and and it's not as effective as it would be if there was a consistent approach across the country. So I want states doing their thing and I yeah. want states being very active and activist and adventurous and trying yeah. new things, but I want it as part of a framework. Um, and I want business in the same, same mould. I want business getting on with it, but we've got to provide them with certainty. The trouble yeah. is that you have chop-changing energy policies and ad hoc decisions and all that stuff. Um, And that makes it really hard for business who wants to get on with the job. Mm. So really, uh, Josh, it's about that framework. It's about the government saying, okay, we get it. Here's the rules. Here's the framework. We've consulted about all this. This is the the situation going forward. Now, states, business, local government, community groups, let's get on with it. And there's massive you know, there's massive interest. I I go around the country, I meet with community groups, renewable energy groups who are just getting on with it, but they're getting on with it against the tide without the framework. Imagine what we could do if we're all swimming in the same
0: direction. Mm, Yeah, it'd be a good moment. I mean, and it's interesting to look at like recent history as well with the COVID response. Like it seemed like there was a period of time there where everyone was kind of seemingly on board with policy decisions and how do we go swim in the same direction? And only it was only in the kind of latter stages of that where different states started to do their own thing and kind of break away a little bit, but it kind of was proof that everyone could sit around a table, state, federal, different party lines, and get stuff done. So, I mean, there are examples of how this can work. Um, and I guess it's about getting there. Um, it would be remiss of me to leave out some of the most recent news around a, a climate related catastrophe that's happened on the northern rivers. Um, yeah. in speaking to you and and in the context of that with the lead-up to the federal election, the debate always seems to centre around what we can do as a nation to reduce air emissions and avoid severe kind of global warming and climate-related catastrophes like the floods and like the bushfires, um, which weren't far from where you love to go body surfing down south. So, you know, given that these floods um, and these natural disasters have been amplified by climate change, what are some of the actions that you think we need to be thinking about as a nation when it comes to actually adapting to a climate affected society and economy like uh, is that on the agenda
1: it has to be has to be josh because you know we climate change is no longer a forecast it's Mm. no longer a prediction it's a live reality Mm. and we're all living it every day with huge risks so you know these floods people are calling them once in a hundred once in five hundred years or once in a thousand that's all that's all nonsense we had Worse, similar or worse floods or, or, or equivalent floods in Brisbane in 2011, which is not mm. that long ago, right? Mm. Um, and we're just seeing we're seeing natural disasters more often and worse. Mm. You know, and we used to say, "Oh, you can't blame any particular natural disaster on climate change," but you know, they will have a more. No, that's not true anymore. Now we can actually say that pretty much. Every natural disaster apart from an earthquake is going to be worse because of climate change, with all the implications it has. So, and the world has left it too late to stop climate change. We need to limit the warming to as close as we can to 1.5 degrees. That just, there's a statement, a sad statement, a fact that the world's been, um, you know, fiddling around with it for too long. So, we are going to see some climate change. So, we need both. We need strong, um, mitigation we need strong emissions reduction we need to ma- and that's and that's the next 10 years that counts there so that's why the 2030 target is so important but we also do need better resilience better emergency management better adaptation um yeah. to to the changing climate so we've got to do both um and we will do both um and you know we just have to call it as it is while of course all our thoughts are with the people dealing with the floods it doesn't help anybody to deny a link with climate change, and this is going to happen more often and be worse every time.
0: Yeah, it's a really challenging thing because you know a lot of the places we've built in our history, like when we grew as a nation and and with our different towns and cities, like some of them today, if you were making decisions about town planning and you were <laughs> looking at like where we're going to stick this and that, you know, some of them wouldn't get built today. Yeah. So it looks like there's going to be a huge challenge. Like, where, but uh, I've noticed that there's been some things come up in the media lately around. Um, fossil fuel levies and things to kind of pay back for to to have adaptation covered. Um, I mean, is there anything in the labor policy book that you can share that kind of links to this? Like anything more concrete?
1: Um, look, what we want to do is actually see the emissions come down as the first. So um, there, mm-hmm. they, there aren't any fossil fuel levies because we want to work with the with with the traditional energy companies and big emitters to reduce their emissions. That's the main. Mm-hmm. That's the main thing. So we've got policies to do with that. We require the two hundred and Fifteen biggest emitters across the country to reduce their emissions to yeah. net zero yeah. um, as a matter of law, um, and that's been welcomed by the business community because, as we yeah. were talking about before, business is right. ahead of the government, right? They want yeah. to get along with it. Um, so I don't think a levy is the way forward. The way forward is to basically have those conversations with people. With you know, ad- adaptation is important. I, you know, I, was, I was annoyed during the week to see the disaster recovery um, you know, boss say, oh, people are living in floodplains, you know, it's their fault. It's not their fault. You know, you're right. You can have a sensible conversation about planning going forward, sure, but mm. it's got to be a respectful one. Yeah. The world is changing. The climate is changing. We don't just tell people you're living in the wrong area. Mm. And by the way, some of the people impacted by floods in the last few days haven't aren't living in flood have <laughs> so no, Never mean, been impacted exactly. before. You know, this is this is the point about it about it getting worse. Yeah. You know, if you're living in an area which is impacted by one in a hundred year flood, yeah, and you get impacted once every hundred years, sure, okay, everybody understands that. But where it's where it is getting worse and it's impacting on areas that haven't been impacted before. Um. So again, adaptation. I don't mean to um. You know to sort of um, uh, make it more complicated than it is. But it is, again, it's a whole of government effort, right? Planning is not a federal government responsibility. We've got to work in cooperation with the states mm. to say, all right, let's 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 get on the same page about mitigation, about about reductions in emissions, but let's all, all also get on the same page about how we're going to deal with the impacts mm. of global warming, which is going to happen.
0: Mm. You mentioned earlier in the chat that you know, like there was. You mentioned the UK as a place that has like tripartisan kind of support for climate policy, and um, you know, we've we we all know that we're not a leader. It's just not even it's not even worth stating that it's a fact that doesn't need statement. Um, but looking around at other nations, you know, which countries for you in your kind of focus area now? Which countries are getting it right, and what are some of the more interesting policies that you've come across from overseas that are worthwhile for us to consider as Aussies and, and how we kind of move forward together.
1: Well, I I, I think when you look around the world, um, United States is back in the game. You know, mm. um, since twenty twenty, that's great to see. That's and they you know that's absolutely important. And the United States is is leading, so mm. they've got now fifty percent emissions reduction target. And look, there's stuff that Biden hasn't got through the Congress that he wants to, but at least they're trying You know, at least they're back in the game. But I think the United Kingdom, we we'll talk we we'll about it a few times, is probably. Um, one where we should be looking at the most. They've got a 68% emissions reduction target between now and mm-hmm. 2030. But perhaps even more importantly, they were the first country in the world to legislate um, their their targets in a good way and in a tripartisan way. Again, it sort of mm-hmm. just sailed through the House of Commons. Um, and, you know, even, even the United Kingdom, and I think, you know, I'm not one to sort of praise Margaret Thatcher all that much, but, you know, she was a scientist who got and understood climate change. Mm. And so she, as a conservative, actually was the first conservative leader in the world, mm. basically said the climate's going to change and we should do something about it, way back, you know, before it was a big thing. So mm. credit where it's due, we have got a political party with one of their most revered and respected leaders who was a scientist who said, no, this is real. And mm. She was, you know, wrong on many things, but she was right about climate change. <laughs> and I think we're still, there. There is that is still playing out, you know, 40 years later, that that still has an impact. So um, in the United Kingdom, um, you know, the, the Labor Party, again, is calling for more, but they're calling for more from a very high base, you know. Mm. Um, so uh, I think that's probably a country in the world which shows that it can be done. And, you know, Alok Sharma, you might have seen him, he was the chair of the COP at Glasgow, and he mm. got emotional towards the end. And Barnaby Joyce had a go at him for getting emotional. I mean, get over yourself, Barnaby. This guy's mm. a conservative MP, Tory, mm. right, right, Who's put his life and soul and blood, sweat, and tears into getting a better action on climate change? You know, Mm. that shows what is possible, what Mm. is possible. And as a result, you know, um, of course, they're not exactly the same as us, but um, they're, um, you know, they're doing their bit in their own context. Mm. And look, around the world, you're right, not only are we not a leader, we are so far behind. But what I want to do is bring us back to the pack. So, our 43% emissions reduction target, for example, it's not the strongest in the world, because again, we're starting in 2022. You know, for a 2030 target, that's very late really for yeah. meaningful action to start. That's like walking out on the 15th over of a 50-overs test match and <laughs> starting, you know, at zero and trying to catch up. Mm. But, um, you know, you, you Canada and they're a similar economy, a resources-based economy, they're at 40 to 45, so we're in the pack with them.
0: Mm. I'm
1: better than South Korea at 40. Um, so back in the pack is where I want to get us um, and, you know, be, a, a, be um, respected around the world. And one of the things we've announced is that we will, Bid to host the conference of the parties. We'll bid to host the COP. Cool. We were, we were embarrassed at Glasgow, right? It was an, an international mm. embarrassment. I want to send the message to the world: Hey, Australia's back. You know, not and we are not only happy to participate strongly in COP. We want to host COP mm. to show how much we're back.
0: That's great. That's great. Mm. It's really funny reflecting on the UK. I had the opportunity to live there for a little while. Like a lot of Aussies, you know, you go and do mm. your two year working visa, and you work in a pub and you get a bit fat and white and then you come home (laughs) and everyone asks you what happened and was it a good thing and you go yeah how was the surfing my liver's suffering and my surfing really declined (laughs) but um one of the things i noticed in the uk and maybe it's just an interesting kind of side note on it all but they love their natural space they like to go for walks in nature like they love to watch birds from a distance like there's all these little quirks and like this whole idea of stewardship for their Hmm. environment i've always found the 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 kind of British folk to be really they just love that nat- natural environment that they had on that island you know and I feel like with Australia oftentimes I find that we're just in this battle with our natural natural space here you know it's this really threatening space and it's um I don't know whether there's something in that for us in how we all engage with climate action because we've just I feel like the countryside you know since colonization it's always been trying to kill us so it's kind of um, yeah. interesting
1: I wonder Josh if if we in Australia take it for granted, mm. right? And United you know, Kingdom is a lot smaller country with a lot more people, so they really have to protect mm. what natural space they have. So you're right, you know, yeah, rambling is a big thing in the UK. They call it rambling, which yeah. is walking through the countryside, right?
0: Yeah.
1: I guess we've got bushwalkers, right? But, yeah. you know, rambling is really a thing in the UK and they've got really strong protection laws to protect those corridors because they've got, you know, many more people than us crammed into a much smaller area, mm. so they can't take it for granted, whereas we – I, I want. I worry that we live in the most beautiful country in the world with plenty of space for all of us. And we just are, uh, ah, yeah, you know.
0: She'll be right. <laughs> She'll be right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. It's funny. And it reminds me of the right to roam that they have up in exactly. Scandinavia, you know, like you got exactly. the right to camp anywhere for a night. And it's like, I lived in Scandinavia for a while. I was like, this is pretty cool. I get to pitch a tent here and then cruise. It's like, wow, this is one way to ensure that everyone respects nature. So it's a really interesting thing for us. I wonder if we can get some policies there so we can roam across the place and really enjoy it. Um, Coming back home, with what's happening on the ground here in Australia, like we're famous for being innovators. We've got all this kind of entrepreneurial zeal when it comes to certain things. Have you come across anything around like in your work now with energy and looking at climate change? Like, Is there anything that excites you locally in that kind of entrepreneurial space that you can speak to?
1: Heaps. Heaps. Everywhere I go, I, I, I see something new and I see something really exciting. So,
0: mm.
1: you know, I was on the south coast of New South Wales yesterday. It wasn't, wasn't swimming, unfortunately, I was working. Um, but that um, like would
0: have been massive, too, so don't worry about
1: it. Yeah. <laughs> and brown, the water's brown. At the <laughs> yeah. But, um, uh, you know, there's a solar farm in Nara, which is community owned um, and run and is, you know, hugely successful. So it's not business, it's this community doing it. And they were oversubscribed in the first day they put it out saying we're doing a community-owned solar farm who wants in and they were oversubscribed on day one you know also from the south coast um a bit further down um at Glasgow there was an entrepreneur's award um for the most innovative entrepreneur in climate change space and Australian won it and what she's doing is um looking at I know carbon capture is controversial right but she's looking at at carbon use so taking carbon and using it in different ways and Mm. putting it into concrete and making the concrete you know, um, a, a carbon sink and arguably making it stronger concrete. You know, and mm-hmm. she won the award for the best international uh, entrepreneur uh, in the climate change space. So there's lots to be excited about, you know, and we have a lot to be proud of. You know, mm-hmm. the, the modern solar panel is an Australian invention. People, mm-hmm. don't, A lot of people don't realise. Um, we effectively, we as a country, the ANU scientists and the University of New South Wales scientists, effectively have invented the modern solar panel about more than 90 percent of the world's solar panels have got australian technology in them mm. right professor martin green down at the university of new south wales basically the world leader of solar science and you know he's he's getting on a bit now but he's still innovating his team is still coming up with new things and we're still leading the world what we're not leading the world <laughs> is is climate policy mm. and um um, making things—I mean, we invented the modern solar panel, but we make one percent of the solar panels we put on roofs in Australia. We need to do a whole lot more of that. But look, it's really exciting everywhere I go. Whether it's a small community group renewable energy group, or a council, or a business, a small business—you know—going out trying new things. It's all happening. It's just not happening mm. with a framework of national leadership. Mm.
0: So there's hope. That's nice. There's hope and that's a really nice thing to have in this whole discussion. Speaking of hope, you know, the the final word on this is, um, and I want to leave this final word with you, there's a lot of people in the community hurting and rebuilding after the bushfires still like years ago now, they're still rebuilding from that and they're still struggling. The recent floods though, that's happening now and you've got this kind of community coming together and, and literally cleaning up and looking after each other like it's never been seen before in some ways. Um, You know, as a leader who may well be responsible, you know, you may well be responsible for climate and energy policy in Australia. I know there's a lot of people supporting you and hoping hoping this happens, but, you know, elections are elections and they can be surprising. Um, What is your final message to the people out there hurting, suffering, probably in need of some hope? Like, what's your message to them? Well, I guess
1: a couple of things, Josh. Firstly, um, yes, there's a lot of people suffering from climate change and natural disasters at the moment. It's been a big two years, of course, for suffering around the world and in Australia. Mm -hmm. I mean, the community I represent in Western Sydney was the epicentre of the Sydney outbreak of Mm, COVID, for example, so we did it really tough. But the community came together really quickly. You know, we had food hamper kitchens and, I mean, it just didn't stop and, you know, community neighbours dropping you know, food off to each other, even strangers. You know, just dropping hampers at front doors if they knew people were in isolation. So, our community, our society, our country is strong and can be stronger. Um, and there is hope. Country's getting on with it. Again, I don't mean to be too partisan, but there's a fork in the road coming for the country in a few weeks. You know, we've got to decide as a nation what do we want to do. Do we want to care about climate change and the climate emergency or not? Change the government means that we will. Do we want to have a federal ICAC so we you know deal with some integrity issues? Do we want to? Uh, more deeply honour and respect the role of women in our society, including in politics. These are some of the choices facing the country. Um, it's close. Um, I, I think we can win. I think we can lose. You know, this could go either way. This election. Um, so, really, I would just urge all the listeners to to really. I'm not going. I'm not here to ask you to vote Labor, but I'm here to ask you to really think about the vote and to um, um, really consider the choice facing the country, because it is we, we have a bright, optimistic future as a nation leading the world in renewable energy as I said we have more sun hits our our landmass than any other country in the world our wind is better than average it's not the best in the world but we're pretty windy you know so we have pretty good wind we've got all these massive opportunities we can export renewable energy we can export it to Asia to think of Singapore you know you would have been to Singapore it's a small nation they want to have renewable energy but they don't have space for solar farms and wind farms we can sell them our renewable energy through green hydrogen and submarine cables there's all sorts of things the world is our oyster really seriously this can be australia's really bright spot our moment um if we take it if we take it in may and we have a government which cares and i'm just so pleased to be at the center of it as as the potential alternative climate minister